0: Hello, and welcome to the Salem on the Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. In this new series, Unwrapping Christmas, we recognize it's that time of year to unpack the boxes and trim the tree. What if this year we could go beyond the boxes to experience something even greater? What if we actually expected Jesus to show up? So let's unwrap Christmas together and turn now to the second part of our series, Unwrapping Technique. Well, good morning once again. Uh, If you're joining us right now for the first time, welcome. Glad that you are here as well. Uh, We're in the second part of this series called Unwrapping Christmas, and uh, in this second part or in this series in in general, uh, this is a series where we honestly are expecting Jesus to show up, and what we're doing is attempting to unwrap the hidden meaning of Christmas, or the reason for the season that often gets lost in all the chaos and the craziness. Last week we got out the decorations and we sort of started looking at that. We did clean up a little bit this week, so it's not quite as chaotic up here. Uh, but but many of you, this is one of the this is my favorite way to unwrap. Right, it's just the the tear like take it apart as fast as you can. Anybody in here? Kind of the you in the room. Uh, I trust there are fewer of you. Right, but you will. You're some some of these folks. Right. I don't have a pocket knife on me. Some of y'all pull out on Christmas morning like a pocket knife and you'll just slowly like cut right down the scene, right? And everybody else in the room is mortified by you because you are typical. It's well thought out, well intentioned. And you are driving us bonkers by your attitude and the way that you choose to unwrap that gift. But you do it every time. And chances are, unlike this other gift, you're not going to throw this paper in the floor. Uh, You're just going to carefully set this gift aside. You're going to take another minute and you're going to fold this paper up, right? You just need to make sure I don't want anything to go wrong with this paper. So we're just going to. Take our time. Oh, that's a beautiful piece of wrapping paper right there. You did, you did a fine job of cutting that. Uh, we're just going to fold that up real nice like it's a sheet that's going to go back on your bed, even though you will probably do nothing with it. and You just set it aside. Shamefully, raise your hand if you're one of those people. I <laughs> got a few of you in this room. Some of you are not gonna raise your hand, you'll just get pointed at by relatives who are in the room. We, you all know who you are, right? We all have these unwrapping techniques that we approach Christmas with, and it varies from person to person, even the way that the, the times that we do it. Anybody in here open a Christmas gift or two on Christmas Eve? We got any of those in here? Yeah, we got a few in here. Everybody, anybody who's like, no, you absolutely have to do it all Christmas morning. Like everybody's all, all Christmas morning. Okay, got some of those too. Yeah, it all varies from person to person. The question that really kind of res- resounds with me, and you know, I honestly think this is one of those questions that that I probably should start incorporating in premarital counseling because me and Aaron have a big disagreement on this, right? I go to her household. It's one gift at a time per person. Like, you just sit there, give it to them, and then everybody pauses their life and watches them open that gift. Oh, my gosh, the social pressure of opening that gift in that moment. I'm like, please do not do this to me, right? Because my family is like, hey, Sam! They throw the gift across the room. doesn't matter if it's fragile. You know, everybody's ripping it. There's paper going everywhere. But we all have different opinions as to what is right and wrong. And Aaron and I, we've, I've said this before, I think in times past, we, we have strong disagreements about how this should be done, so much so that there's always this social anxiety inside of me when it comes to going to her Christmas parties because of that very technique. right? So here's the question that I have before us this morning. What's the right way? Right? What is the right way? to open the gift. And of course, you know, as you probably figured I, I really could care less about your Christmas gifts at this point. Um, I, I have that question that's kind of piercing in my mind. God has given all of us a gift, all of us. Now the gifts vary from person to person, but God has bestowed upon all of us gifts. In fact, the brother of Jesus, James, is very careful to say in the opening part of his epistle, he says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down to us from the Father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. There is a gift that each and every one of us has received. And as I said, the gift could change. Sometimes it's gifts of friendship and family. Sometimes it's gifts related to our social status. Sometimes it's gifts of skills and talents that each of us bear and that we hold into our life. It's spiritual gifts, right? Spiritual gifts like discernment, wisdom, mercy, hospitality, leadership, prophecy, teaching. All these are gifts that come to us. And the question that we have this morning is how will you unwrap that gift? What's the right way to unwrap and receive that gift and into, our, into your life? James reminds us that each of those gifts, they originate with our Creator. They come to us from God. It doesn't matter who we are or where we come from. These gifts come down to us. And when we hold them in our hands, we share a piece of God's life. God has given a piece of Himself to each and every one of us. And He's placed that gift of Himself in our hands. And now as we hold this piece of God, of who God is... We ask the question, so we unwrap it, well, God, who do you want me to be in this world? How do you want me to handle the gift, that, that small piece of yourself that I'm holding in my hands? And as I hold this gift, what's the role this? And you know, the season of Advent, it certainly does a and direct our attention towards Jesus, the primary point of God's revelation, right? Jesus is the primary gift that comes to us in the world. There's no doubt about it. It's the centerpiece. It's, it's everything that we know about Jesus, or everything that we know about God, rather, is founded in Jesus. One way of saying it is in Jesus, God most clearly says who he is and who he ain't. All right? that's, that's where it is. If you want to know who God is and who God is not, look to Jesus. Because in Jesus, you see all of those things. That's God's fullest understanding by God, as adopted by God into the family. And we're all asked at some point in our lives to unwrap that gift. To take that gift, to hold it carefully, but then to unwrap it And present it back unto the world. And to help us understand this, he was languishing in his reality. He he was aimless, he was un Joseph. And Joseph is in a space in his life where he's not expecting this gift, for sure. And when it does come, he's a little bit unbelieving that it should come to him. In fact, he wants to sort of push it aside. He's not aimless or joyless or uninspired in that way, but, but he is in this space where he's full of doubt about what God would actually want to do. And so this morning, I want to look at Joseph. Last week, we looked at the gospel according to Luke. This week, we're going to look at the gospel according to Matthew in the very first chapter. And in the very first chapter, Matthew starts a little bit different than Luke. Luke starts with Elizabeth and then eventually gets to the birth of Jesus. Matthew starts right away with the birth of Jesus. He, extend, he gives us this long extended genealogy, 14 generations from, from creation to David and 14 generations from David until the exile and 14 generations from exile until the coming of Christ. But basically all of this is leading up to the coming of Christ. And then in verse eight, he starts out by telling us exactly what's going on. And let me, before I jump into this, I just want to, I just want to name what our assumption is about some of these stories, right? The Christmas stories, like so many others, we just have a built-in story, right? Whether it lines up with scripture or not, that's not the point. We have a story that we tell ourselves over and over again. And one of the things that we tell ourselves over and over again is how important Mary is and central Mary is to the story. And Don't hear me incorrectly here. Mary was important to the story, right? She is the God-bearer. She she holds Jesus in her womb. She feels him growing, and and she is a woman full of grace and all of those things. But Matthew actually doesn't start by placing the emphasis on Mary, which is interesting. We often overlook that. We we jump to Mary and Joseph in this story. Joseph is the one that Matthew places the emphasis on. Look at how he starts this. If you're following along with me, actually, in verse 18 is where I'll begin. Chapter 1 of Matthew. After providing that genealogy that I mentioned a minute ago, it says this very clearly. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. This is how it happened. This is where the import lies for Matthew as we're listening to the story. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, let me pause again here you know, sometimes, maybe it's just me, maybe it's just the way I approach this story, but so often in my life, whenever I think about this encounter between Joseph and Mary, which no doubt had to be one of the weirdest conversations ever to take place, right? You are like, really, you were impregnated by the Holy Spirit? That's fascinating. How does this happen, right? You know, I'm like, just all the things that, as a father, I would go through when my wife would come to me, or my soon-to-be wife would come to me and be like, yeah, so I have a baby in here, right? You are like, well, I didn't do that, right? So I don't know what's happening here. This, This is a weird conversation, Let's just push all that aside because what the text actually says, it's a passive verb that's being used here in verse 18, it says, She was found to be with child. It, my whole story just got kind of blown away, right? It's like Mary's not coming to Joseph, kind of outlining this. She's not coming to him, Joseph, I have something I need to tell you, right? No. Since she was found to be with child. Now, I don't know if she just couldn't avoid any longer like going off the excuse of being too bloated from turkey. Like, I'm not sure if that was what was going on in her life. But for whatever reason, she is now discovered to be with child. It's discovered that she is with child. She's found with child in this way. And this changes things altogether because in some ways for me, you know, Mary wasn't setting the mood. She wasn't lighting candles. She wasn't telling this to Joseph in this sincere way she's found out. She's discovered in the midst of this. And what I love about this part of the story and seeing this a little bit clearly is the way that it humanizes Mary and Joseph for us, both Mary and Joseph. Mary's struggling to come to Joseph and actually come to terms with this reality even though she heard from Gabriel and she accepted that this was the gift from God. She's still not able to verbalize it and take it to her, her fiancé Joseph. She doesn't do this. Joseph doesn't get told, he just finds out. And I I love the way they have to wrestle with this, where Mary receives the news, wrestles with it, and never brings it to Joseph. One day, she's just kind of popping in the belly. He's like, that looks weird. Like You put on a lot of weight or what? Right? She's discovered with this baby. He finds out, maybe by happenstance, all of a sudden. She can no longer hide it and, and kind of live behind some sort of excuse. The gift, in this way, is literally thrown into Joseph's lap. Kind of like a missile just comes out and slaps him right in the face. He didn't know it was coming. He didn't see it was coming. It's just there. And in that moment, Joseph is faced with an incredibly difficult decision. This difficult decision that he has to, has to come up with. And so the story starts with Mary being in, uh, having child in here and Joseph finding out. And then it goes in verse 19 public disgrace, take her before the council in the city, and she will likely be stoned for infidelity, right? Or he can dismiss her quietly, pretend like it never happened, hide her off some way. And and of course, Matthew's trying to tell us, Joseph is a man who doesn't prefer sacrifice, he prefers mercy, and so he's going to go that route. He's going to say, I don't want her to die, (laughs) that's not what I want to happen, I'm just going to dismiss her, right? I'm going to push her off to the side somewhere where no one can see her. When the gift is in his lap, the difficult decision comes down. He's presented with the most challenging uh, moment of his life in this space. What does he do? How does he unwrap it? He plans to push it to the side. He could have followed the law. He could have had her uh, to uh, meet her sudden death. He could have done all that. But Matthew tells us he's this righteous man and pushes her to the side. Now, why does Matthew do this? Why does Matthew kind of lean into this moment right here and kind of present this before us? There's a reason I think Matthew wants you and I to hear this part of the story, that Joseph either could have you know, stoned her or dismissed her, and he chose the righteous path of dismissing her. And the reason I think Matthew wants you and I to hear that part of the story is because you and I do the same thing all the time. You and I, our gut-level response when faced with the gift of God in our lives is to quietly dismiss it, push it off to the side as if it's not there. Joseph's response in this moment is often our response as well. We just want to push this over. Right? At first, this is sort of this discernment phase. At first, maybe we have this inkling, this, this suspicion that God is doing something in our lives, God is working in our lives. Maybe you have a glimpse of God's call in our lives because we see gifts that keep coming up over and over again, and we see sort of opportunities that keep presenting themselves. And, and this is the discernment phase in our lives. And at first, that discernment phase in your life and in my life, it's kind of hard to determine whether or not that got, is God or just indigestion, right? We don't know. We're not sure if that's really a baby in there or if it's just sort of struggling turning over and over again. And in that early stage, we can sort of push it off to the side, dismiss it. But it continues to grow in our lives, and it becomes clear that this is the gift of God in front of me. And in that moment, we face the same thing that Joseph faced, for fear of what might be. For fear of what might be, Joseph decides to push it off to the side. And a lot of times in your life and in my life, when we're face to face with the gift of God, the gifts of God that we hold in our hands and in our bodies and in our minds and and all the talents that are surrounding us for fear of what that might mean, we just push it off and go a different way. And what it might mean differs from person to person. It It may vary in this room, in fact. Well, it might mean to dismiss the gift, it might mean that it would cost us too much socially if we lived into that gift. What it might mean for others in this space is that we would have to sacrifice whatever our definition of success would be if we lived into the gift. What it might mean is is that we would find hardship in our life and and in the life of our family, and that's too much, right? So we push it off to the side. We might dismiss the gift in our lives for other reasons, like, you know, people just wouldn't understand. It would lead to relational tension. I don't want to expose that. I don't want to go into all that. But even when our what it might mean is different from the person next to us, even when it varies from everybody who's in this room, everybody who's watching online, when it varies, the temptation is still the same. What it might mean is too costly. And because it's too costly, I push it aside. I need to put it away quietly, and I need to walk away. Some of you here watching online, you may be toying with that idea right now. Like that might be your point of discernment right now is I'm seeing this, I'm feeling this, but I'm at this point where I need to just push it away. Others of you, you may actually are maybe living on the other side of that decision. You may have already pushed it away in your life and now you're living a life in such a way that it it kind of feels like the gift that God had placed in your life is separate, somewhere out there. I can see it. I remember a time in my life when it was active, but now it's over there somewhere. Either way, here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear me very clearly when I say that there is another way. There's another way to sort of welcome in this gift. We don't have to do the righteous thing and kill it. We don't have to push it away quietly. There's another way that God is inviting us into. And it's the way that Joseph actually was carried into in his life. see, Joseph had resolved that he was going to dismiss it. He had already made the decision. I am going to dismiss her from my life, I'm pushing this gift out of my life. And in the middle of the night, deep in a dream, the messenger of God comes to Joseph. And in that space, the messenger begins to speak and offer Joseph another way. It says in verse 20, but just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, this angel Gabriel, just like Zechariah, just like Mary, every says to Joseph, in this moment, the same gift that came to them before you is the gift I want you to do, Joseph. I actually want you to marry Mary. I want you to, the two to become one flesh. I want you to merge together entirely. I want you to take her as your own. And I want you to take this a step further, Joseph. I want you to take that child as your own. I don't want you to live your life as if this is just the divine son, like this is God's son. I'm just sort of a sideline character in this whole thing. No, I want you to take Mary and I want you to take that child as if it's your own. I want you to hold on to him as if he is your own. And God is saying the same to you and me. There is a gift of God's life in your hands that God is saying, I want you to take that as if it's your own. It may seem foreign, it may seem like it just originated with God, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to take that gift in, to live with it as if it's a part of you, because it is a part of you. It's a part of the way that God created you and made you and wants you to function in this world. I want you to live with that gift as if it is your own. It's who you are. It's not just who God is, it's not just this gift out there that came to us, but it's an active part of you. And I want you to live that way, act that way, live every day just that way. And Gabriel continues, and not only do I want you to live that way, accepting that gift as if it's a part of you, he goes on and he says, Mary will bear a son. And here's what you're to do with that son. You're to name that son Jesus. That's your job, Joseph. Joseph, you're the one who will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Mary is the one who bears the gift in her body. She feels Jesus growing and forming and kicking and turning every single day. She wakes up with the morning sickness. She feels the weight on her body. She's drained by the gift that is living with her all the time. She feels all those things. But Joseph, I want you to declare him Savior in this world. I want you to name him in this way. I want you to be the one, the first one to call him Savior of the world, That's your job, Joseph. Joseph, you'll become the first evangelist in the world to name this child, to declare him as Savior by accepting him as your own and declaring him to be Savior in the world. And Joseph, you, you might be calling him out, and that might cost you something. right? People are going to look at you funny because, you know, she was pregnant before you were married, and the world knows that. And I get it, and so it's going to cause some problems along the way. But as you call him forth, you call forth the Savior of the world. And Matthew actually completes this section of the story by taking us back just a little while to tell Joseph, ultimately, you're not alone in this endeavor. You're not the only one who's been calling out the Savior of the world to come. In fact... Prophets did this long before you, and, and, and Matthew reminds us of this. He goes back in verse 21 and 22 and 23. All of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophets. What, did it, what was fulfilled? This is a prophecy from, from Isaiah. Look, the virgin, the young woman, shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Joseph, you're not alone in receiving this gift. You're not the only one to receive this gift. Others have longed for it. Others have envisioned it in their minds. Others have called forth throughout the centuries. And now, Joseph, as inconvenient as it is for you to live with this gift in your hands, this is what I'm asking you to do. This is where I'm asking you to go, Joseph. This is how I want you to live your life. So what does he do? What does Joseph do? In this moment, Matthew tells us in the next couple verses, and I won't pull them up on the screen, but I'll just tell you really quickly. It says he woke up from the dream. He got up from the dream. He did exactly what the angel asked him. He took Mary as his own, and he claimed the child as his own. And when the child was born, Joseph stepped into the role that God had asked him to step into. He named him Savior. He declared him in the world as the Savior of all the world, Jesus. He offered that. This morning, I, you know, I've tried to be as clear as I can in saying that I think each of us has been given a gift from God. I hope if you've got nothing else from me, you've got that. We all have a gift that's sitting in our lap. We've all had this gift that God has given to us, and like Joseph, each of us in this room, each of us watching online, we have a propensity to push that gift away, to dismiss it quietly because it doesn't quite line up with who I think I am, and it seems a little bit foreign to me. But that doesn't have to be your choice. That doesn't have to be where you land. You don't have to kill the gift for the sake of righteousness. You don't have to dismiss the gift or push it away in any way. There's this third way. This third way where you can take the gift that is in your hand and not only see it as a gift from God, but also embrace it as if it is your own. As if it's a part of you. Of how you act and live and work in the world. And don't dismiss that. Don't push that away. Don't ignore it, but live into it. As uncomfortable as it may be, as weird as it may seem, live into that gift and find joy and fulfillment in there. And there are a few things that I think if we choose this path, we just need to remember about Joseph's story. And this is where I want to land it today. As we're thinking about Joseph's story, if we're going to live into that path, if we're going to walk that path, that third path, there are three things we need to remember. The first is this. We need to remember that Joseph trusted beyond what he could see in the present moment. Joseph had to trust beyond what he could see in the present moment. He didn't actually know how this would all turn out. Imagine how crazy it would be to see this, you know, this newborn baby in his hand, and he's like, this is the Savior of the world. Right? There actually has to be something that lines up with that in reality. And Joseph have—he didn't have the convenience of knowing that right away. He had to live into that. He had to trust God beyond the present moment, and that's what you have to do as well. You have to trust God beyond the present moment, whatever your present moment is. And I don't know exactly what that is or what you're living into, what that giftedness is. But beyond the present moment that we are living in right now, God is asking us to trust him, to step beyond that for just a minute to see where it goes. And I don't know, you know, I don't know what all that will mean, but here's what I do know. I know that as you trust beyond that present moment, there's this peace that is discovered in the middle of your uncertainty. There is a peace that can surround you that leads to the greatest joy that you've ever known, that you will ever discover in your life. And as you learn to embrace the uncertainty of this present moment, I need to remind you that we are still called to act in those moments of uncertainty, to live in our call and in our gift, even in moments of uncertainty. You see, that, that's Joseph's step. Joseph was not only asked to embrace this child as his own, Joseph was also called to act. He was called to name this child. And Joseph was given one task, one major task in the whole story. Name the child Savior. Do that. Name him Savior. Declare that, even when you don't know how. He was declaring that he was the Savior of the world in the middle of all the despair that was taking place around him. And here's the thing. In our lives, in similar fashion, as we hold on to the gift of God that's theirs for us. In the middle of despair, God is calling us to declare salvation. To name it in this world. To name it for others who can't see it. Others in your life that you work with, that you live with, that you walk around with all the time. Who are seeing the weight of this world. Who are seeing the despair of this world. Who are seeing the hopelessness of this world. It is out in the midst of despair. You don't need to see it. You don't need to see it now. You need to know orchestrating it he's the one who's creating it and he's calling you to name it even when it doesn't make sense financially it might not add up for you socially you may feel ostracized and alone by doing it but you have to name it we are all called to name that salvation in the middle of despair to live into it with all of our heart. A faith that doesn't promise that you and i will see it but a faith that asks you and i to name it even when we don't and that's the faith that causes us to wait To patiently wait. I want you to think about Joseph's life for just a minute. Not not just that moment, but Joseph's life. The life that he would have to live into. Joseph made the decision early on with this Christ child to name him Savior. And then Joseph had to wait. He waited nine months, right, to see this baby born. He waited. Wondering if the baby even would be born. It's a crazy story to think that this woman could get pregnant, you know, even without any sort of connection maritally. It's a crazy reality, and now I have to wait to see if that's going to happen. And then he is born, and and the government turns against him. And Joseph, in the middle of the night, has to carry this child to Egypt. And he waited. He waited for years in Egypt, not even connected with the homeland. He just waited. Is it actually going to happen? I'm not, I can't even go back to Israel. I can't even be in that state. I have to wait because they want to kill this child. And Joseph waited. And he waited and he came back finally. And then he waited three decades of silence. And all we hear is Luke chapter 2:52 that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and knowledge with God. That's all we know. We don't know anything else. We just know that he grew for three decades of his life. And Joseph waited. And he waited to see that this Savior would come. And then finally Jesus comes out of the wilderness and he's baptized by John and then the Spirit throws him out into the middle of the desert and this father is sitting back going, whoa, 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 that's not a great place to live, right? That's not a great place to fast. And for 40 days he just has to wait to see if his son will even return. If his son will come back or if he'll just die and be eaten by coyotes in the middle of the desert, he waits. And he comes back, and when he comes back, Jesus takes off, and he just starts living this life of a vagabond, moving here and there. And yes, he's teaching, and yes, he's healing, but there's so much, even in his hometown, that they despise him, they reject him, they don't accept him, and Joseph's just waiting. Is this really going to happen? Is it really going to take place? Is Jesus pushing them too far because now the Roman authorities and the, the religious authorities, they're rising up against him, and they're starting to make a plan, and Joseph is just waiting. And as he waits, he leads him all the way up to this point where he waits the longest six hours of his life. Watching his son, wishing he would just come down, do something. God, this is your son too, it's not just mine. But he's sitting there, dying on the cross. And Joseph has to wait. Is this really the Savior? And he pulls him down. And Joseph enters those three days of silence once again waiting waiting to see his hope re- restored waiting to see the resurrection come waiting that something might change and just when he felt like he couldn't wait anymore christ returns in full glory and he's declared to be the savior of the world the savior who conquers sin death hell and the grave he comes back but joseph's life is marked by waiting constantly waiting, over and over again, waiting to see. And so, as much as Joseph weighed, the final thing that I want to offer to you this morning, if you want to live into the gift that God has for you, if you want to live into that which God has gifted you with, don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. Be ready to wait. Be ready to sit with God exactly where he's asking you to be each of us possess this gift each of us hold it in our hands and it's our decision how we're going to unwrap it but if we choose to unwrap it and to own it as our own not to dismiss it or to kill it even though that happens all the time discover this know this that we're going to have to trust God even when we can't see it we're going to have to in one way or another declare the goodness of God in the world even when the world is full of despair and there's going to be a lot of moments where we just have to wait 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 patiently for the kingdom to come. Wait patiently for God's gifts to be restored in your life. And of course, the table that we gather around this morning is a table where brothers and sisters in Christ have been waiting for centuries. They've been waiting for this kingdom feast, waiting to be able not only to eat it here with one another, but to ultimately eat it with Christ in heaven. And it is marked, a table, marked by our waiting for the gift to come to us once more. And so as we together participate this morning in this season of waiting, as you receive this gift of bread and wine, I want to invite you once more to receive the gift of God in your life. Some of you. As I said, you may be toying around with the idea of pushing it aside. You you may have been wrestling with that for a while now and it's right at the brink. Your, Your arm is just extended. For just a minute, I want you to pause. I want you to pause that, pull that back and consider what it might mean to accept that gift as your own. For others of you, you may have pushed that gift away a long, long time ago. And in this moment, as you receive God's gift of grace to you, once more, I'm gonna invite God to once again bring that gift back into your life, to set it right down in your lap And give you that opportunity to once again open it up and to receive it as your own. Would you stand with me this morning? Gracious God, we thank you so much for the gifts that come to each and every one of us gifts of life, not death, gifts of hope, not despair, gifts of peace in seasons of chaos. And God, I know. I know it is often our temptation to dismiss those gifts because they seem so far beyond who we are, who we ever could hope to be. Gracious God, I ask this morning that you would help us not to dismiss those gifts, that you would help us to invite them in. As we wait around this table to receive your goodness and grace, as we wait around this table to receive these elements of bread and wine, God, we come once again to receive your gift, your gift of life and hope, gift of your call in our lives to declare your salvation to all the world. So meet us in this space, restore that which has been lost and help us to own those gifts as our own this morning to declare to the whole world your salvation. In Christ's name we pray, amen.